found yourself, you know, you're in a bit of a low point in your life, and someone comes along, well-meaning they are, attempts to, they, they try to lift your spirits a little bit, and they come to you with a remedy. Men love to do this. We're problem solvers, aren't we? We just, you know, we, we, this is what you need to do right now. And they come to you with something like this. They see you maybe have a, a bit of a physical problem, and they just say to you, you just need to get more sleep. Or, or they say, you know, maybe a job change is in order. They're, they're pushing you a little bit too hard. Maybe your friend looks at you and they see there's a bit of a relational issue going on. And they might say something, I'm not sure you know, seeing that guy anymore would be helpful. Or I'm not sure that dating that girl would be, you know, you get the idea. But maybe it's a moral problem. Maybe a friend of yours, a loved one, they look at you and they see there's something going on in their heart, in their lives. And they'll say something like this, you know, the problem solvers that they are, they'll say, have you examined your heart? You know, is there a besetting sin, that is something you just can't shrug off? See, people think that with kind of a modicum of insight into your circumstances and your life, they can be the, the great prescriber of contentment. It's a lovely thing to be able to, if you could do that, isn't it? In the lowness of your life, they think they can just sort of wash away uh, all those problems that you have, that lowness, with their kind of incisive analysis. Which is kind of, in a sense, that all they're doing is giving you some well-meaning platitudes. I, if you're anything like me, you look at people like that with all these kind of well-meaning platitudes and, and you, your response is something like this, if you're anything like me. You haven't a clue. You don't know what I'm thinking. You haven't got a clue what I'm feeling right now. And the point is this. You may have, at that moment, a crushed spirit. But no one will understand no one will understand. Now, you're probably thinking right now, what is a crushed spirit? Okay, let's go there, shall we? What is a crushed spirit? Now, the, the, the word which pops up again and again throughout, throughout Proverbs, lots in Psalms as well. We're going to look at some of those texts in a moment. The crushed spirit, the spirit word there, um, is not the third person of Trinity. It's spirit with a small s. It is the spirit of someone, of, of, of our hearts, our mind. It, 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 we'll show what it is more in a moment. It is literally the breath of us, the wind of us, the power of us inside. That is, it is known and felt. We see its effects, but it remains unseen. In today's language, I guess we might describe that spirit um, as using phrases like, it's our emotional energy. Um, it may be, you know, kind of our passion for life. Our spirit is what makes us get up tomorrow morning and drives us through that week, however difficult, however great. Therefore, you see, to have a crushed spirit, it is to look out on life, to look out on the week ahead and, and just wince and, and, and just say, oh, I have no joy before me. You don't want to deal with life. You don't want to deal with the people in life, work and relationships. Everything is tainted by this kind of melancholic malaise. A lot of people kind of put it down as a kind of a listlessness. Oh. And at worst, it can mean someone doesn't want to live at all. You might be thinking right now, aren't you talking about kind of clinical depression? 
Is that a crushed spirit? No. You see, to make that link would be a little bit too simplistic, a little bit kind of reductionistic. Depression could be either the cause or the resultant factor of a crushed spirit. But the Bible says it's, it's more than that. A crushed spirit is far more kind of uh, nuanced, uh, more complicated. And as we'll see, we all know that to be true. I guess what I've found over these last few weeks as I've been looking at this, I just haven't put all the bits together. I haven't realised what it truly is before. And the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, provides somewhat of a spectrum, and I've kind of put that up on the sheet, if you, uh, on, the, on the screen for you, uh, a spectrum between the crushed spirit or the tranquil heart or the contented heart. And we're going to look at these two things. We're going to focus this week on the crushed spirit and next, uh, and next week on the contented heart. Of course, that is what we're striving toward, the contented heart. We would love that all the time, wouldn't we? But the reality is... Some of us may be waking up tomorrow with a crushed spirit. Are they opposites? Not exactly. But it is clear one is to be avoided and one is to be kind of you know, cherished. But they both speak about the entirety of who we are. That is, and I put up there, it, the, what many people describe as the inner life. In fact, we'll look at a, a passage in a moment in the New Testament where it describes it as the inner life, the inner being. Now these two weeks, as I said before, they're going to be slightly different to our normal diet here at Christchurch Earlsford. Normally we walk, don't we, passage, straight through consecutively in a book, and that, that, that's great. That feeds us. That makes us long to live and, uh, and love the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are no less going to sort of submit ourselves to the living, active, uh, living and active word of God. But here what we're going to do is we're going to dot around, we're going to look at various passages to try and understand what the, the, um, the crushed spirit is. I hope that's helpful to us. What I have tried to do is, all the passages we're going to look at, I'm going to try to constrain them into one book. And that's why we're going to have Proverbs open uh, most of the time uh, today. Other, other passages do speak on the subject, as I've said, but I thought it would be helpful, just so we don't go flicking around everywhere. Let's keep it to Proverbs uh, just uh, for this week. Now, you may be wondering, Andy, why are we talking about this? Yeah, you may be thinking, surely this applies to just one or two people dotted around, uh, and therefore, why are you wasting a whole talk on the crushed spirit? I mean, you know, surely you could just slip it into a little application at some point at the end of another one of your talks. That'd be th- no. And let me tell you why: we all have blind spots. Mine is generally sartorial. In what I dress. I mean, when you get up in the morning, do you ever kind of, gentlemen, you'll know what it's like, I'm sure. I, I kind of get up in the morning, I, I kind of put some stuff on and look in the mirror and go, that's all right. I kind of get halfway down the stairs, my wife turns around and it's just a very gentle shaking of the head. That is my blind spot. And I'll find totter upstairs again and try something else on and see if that works so no one will laugh at me when I walk out the door. You know, we all have blind spots, don't we? But we live in a culture that says your happiness and my happiness is utterly determined, is defined by what you have, by your external circumstances. So if you're in that relationship, you're going to be happy, you're going to be fine, you're going to be joyful, that's, that's great, content. If you've got that kind of wealth, you've got that kind of car, that kind of job, that kind of house, all the externals, if you get those things, you're going to be happy, you're going to be content. 
Everything's fine. That's what the worldview of the culture we live in is selling to you every moment of every day. But here is our blind spot. Because the Bible shouts very loudly back at that, no. Your happiness, your contentment, they are not determined by what you have or what you do not have. It is the blind spot of the inner life. I put it down there, sheets there. See, the Bible repeatedly showed us this in, in so many ways that our happiness is, is determined by how we deal with what we have or do not have. How we live with or without. How we work through that. And we'll look at that more next week. But let me give you some quick examples. I'm going to quickly go to the New Testament, Ephesians 3 to begin with, uh, to give you some examples and then I'm going to slip back to a proverb. Don't worry, it's going to be so quick. Let's just keep in Proverbs, but we'll come back to that. But Ephesians 3, verse 16, if you want to note it down. I mentioned this in a prayer meeting just a couple of weeks ago. Paul's prayers, you know them well. Ephesians 3, 16, he says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, Paul doesn't seem to be concerned whether the church get wealthier, whether they get the promotion, the house, whatever it may be. He doesn't, he's not even concerned about their health or you know, anything like that. He prays that the church, persecuted as they were, he prays for their inner being, their spirits. And, and whenever Paul prays in his letters, he never mentions, oh, I pray that you are protected from or that you, uh, your suffering is relieved, or anything like that. Or that your circumstances improve, that your houses get bigger, that your cars get longer, and all that kind of... No, no we never praise those things. The same is true in Colossians 1. Paul prays for the church that their love might grow, for all the saints. In, in Philippians 1, he prays that their discernment might grow in the circumstances that they're facing. In Ephesians 1, he prays that their wisdom and their revelation might grow, and grow and grow. See, we live in a culture... That in hearing about suffering and persecution would automatically pray for the relief of that suffering. And we do that in the understanding that happiness is found through ease, comfortable circumstances, rather than godliness being refined through trial. Of course, praying for the relief of suffering. Don't hear me wrong. Praying for the relief of suffering is a right and appropriate thing. Anna's already prayed for the terrible circumstances in both Ethiopia and Syria. And that is right. But we must not wrongly assume that that is a praying, if you like, ideal. That praying for the ease and relief from suffering is actually the best outcome to pray for someone rather than praying that they will be refined through that suffering. See, the blind spot that we all have because of the world that we live in and the culture we live in is that we assume happiness is found through our circumstances. Paul didn't think so, and he never, he never ever prayed for that. We have a blind spot with regard to this inner life. We're consumed by our external circumstances. Now, I want you to turn to a proverb, we can, just to show the point again. Proverbs 18, verse 14. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. That's page 653 in our church Bibles. Proverbs 18, verse 14. It's right in the centre. 
Look at that. A man's spirit, Proverbs 18 verse 14, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Look at the reality of that verse. You see, you may have all the wealth, you may have total, you know, all the health that you ever desired in this life. Your external circumstances may be as good as you ever dreamt them to be. You're living in your dream home, dream relationship, dream job, dream car, everything. But if you have a crushed and broken spirit, your body cannot be sustained however strong it is. One very sad example, I don't know if you saw recently, there's a great documentary on the BBC about um, professional footballers in this country. Did you note that? And the prevalence of suicide and depression and self-harm amongst professional footballers. Seemingly, they have everything, don't they? But they are prone to a crushed spirit. Their bodies, their bank accounts, everything externally is almost, you know, as anyone would ever dream, isn't it? Yet they rage with overwhelming angst. A crushed spirit who can bear. But the Proverbs actually says, doesn't it? If you are strong, even if all of your circumstances are failing, you will not only just exist in this world, but rather you will be someone who is strong, who can take on this world and to live and be sustained through life. Do you believe that? Do you see the priority in that verse? It's saying it doesn't really matter what the externals are like. It matters what is happening in here. So much more. And Proverbs, actually, you know, you know the distinction, what Proverbs is set out to do is, is, is to show, are you going to be the wise one or are you going to be the foolish one? Are you going to be one that listens to God or are you going to go your own way? And if you don't see the priority of the inner life over and above your external circumstances, then Proverbs says, God says you're a fool. Fool. Tim Keller in his, in his new book put it this way on work Are you more concerned to deposit grace in your spirit than money in your bank account? If you are not, you're a fool. You're a fool. See, we have, by virtue of being in this culture, a very large blind spot with regard to our inner lives, which makes us more vulnerable to having a crushed spirit. And London is full of people with crushed spirits. Therefore, we do need as much wisdom as we can possibly gain from God's word in order to be able to understand what a crushed spirit is, what the inner life is, is made up of. We, we long, don't we, for the contented heart, but so often we veer toward the crushed spirit. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look through a number of Proverbs to, to begin to understand, hopefully, the complexity of the inner life. So we see it, we appreciate it, we can, we can look and observe it in our own hearts, but also in others, so we can be a church together and work together and support one another. And so we'll no longer be a blind spot. So here we get to our main point today. I mean, it really is going to take the majority of our time looking at the complexity of the inner life. Now, this is not meant to scare any of us. But what can we do to protect ourselves? Why do so many people struggle so much with this just crushed listlessness in their lives? 
the biblical answer? It's complicated. And that's why we're going to look at it, the whole of today. I don't know if you've been to Waterstones recently or, or W.H. Smith. The amount of books and magazines that you know, are sold on these kind of subjects, you know, the inner life, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, the, the, all these self-help books, psychology books, all that kind of stuff. It used to be in W.H. Smith, these were the glory days, weren't they? They would get rafts of sports sections. That was the good old days. And now we get psychology life and the various other things that are you know, all coming up here. Where's the football magazines gone? Oh, you know. Anyway, there is huge demand. People have a hunger to know more. And there's all sorts of advice out there. Now, some will take a more medical angle, won't they? Some the more kind of psychology, um, kind of psychology angle. But all of them, they're coming from one perspective. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He just says it's one-dimensional. It's reductionistic. And sadly, we, li- we live in a culture that, in turning away from God's wisdom, in a sense, they've reduced you and I to very simple beings. As a result, you know, you, you go to see a medic and they, they just treat you as a kind of a, a bit of flesh. You're a, you're a mere kind of body in front of them. And so they neglect what? They neglect your heart. They neglect your mind, your hopes, your dreams. Or they neglect your broken heart, your troubled mind, your dashed hopes and your shattered dreams. Oh, we might say, oh... Forget the medics, let's just turn to the, the psychologist. Let's go and see Joel for a bit. You know, if, if we were a little bit younger, we would, but never mind. You know, we'll turn to Joel, you know, psychologist. That'd be, is that right, Joel? I've probably got it wrong, haven't I? No, <laughs> you can correct me later. I always get that wrong. But what do they do? They'll generally overlook the body and just simple, one dimensional focus now on the mind. But we're so much more. Do you get the point? No one looks at the whole. And sometimes we never even look at the whole. Your friends, your loved ones, they're wonderful, aren't they? And in times when you, when you feel a crushed spirit, when times are really low, they're a great support, aren't they? A shoulder to cry on. They are an emotional support. But they are totally out of their depth on so many other areas of life. Now, I'm not blaming the culture around us, but it will always be, as Lewis put, reductionistic in its view of the inner being. We're just not that simple. So what we're going to do now is look at the kind of the complexity of our inner life and to see how a crushed spirit may be avoided. So firstly, we see the inner life has a physical dimension. I've taken these next five titles, actually, um, from one of Tim Keller's articles, but Ed Welsh in one of the articles, Joel's been fantastic these last couple of weeks, just sending me article after article. It's been super helpful because this is kind of his specialism here. So I've taken a few of these kind of titles from various people. But here um, we're looking at all the dimensions of the inner being. First one, the physical dimension. And if you can, can you turn with me to Proverbs 14, verse 30. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A heart of peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. Now the word used here for envy can mean all sorts of things. It means bitterness, it means anger. It's actually a kind of a word meaning heat, a kind of a hotness, uh, which kind of is a like the like the anger there. And a contrast is made, isn't it, between the heart at peace and the contented heart. 
the hot heart and the inner life in turmoil. What's the point? If you're lacking that kind of emotional health, that contented inner being, well, that will lead to a lack of physical health and vice versa. So, I mean, just to put it in plain English, you know, if you're not sleeping well, you're going to be a bit irritable. You know, if, if you're not getting good rest and kind of recreation, then what you find you kind of, you know, you begin to struggle with areas of emotional kind of uh, relationships in work, uh, with your friends, with your loved ones. You get low sometimes when physical things come upon you. If you find yourself sick in bed, injured, or just under the weather physically, we often find ourselves at our lowest point there, and it's not daytime TV that does that. God tells us, and we experience that link between the physical body and our inner life. But we see it positively too. Uh, if your heart is at peace and contented, there are physical benefits. Now, not always, but we mustn't be that kind of reductionistic. There's a link. Secondly, we go to the emotional dimension of our inner beings. Look at that. Let's go to chapter 12 of Proverbs, verse 25 this time. Chapter 12, verse 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Literally, that word there is a, means to sink. An anxious heart makes someone sink emotionally. What do we need, though, when we're sinking emotionally? Look what it says. A kind word cheers him up. See, sometimes you don't need to go to the doctor and get some medicine. Sometimes you just actually need to go and see a friend to, you know, have a bit of a laugh, to go fishing or whatever it may be. A kind word, a bit of an arm around the shoulder, a bit of the shoulder of the crown, if you're that kind of person. You know, we're British. We don't do that much. But there we go. You know, we need love. We need... Intimacy, I mean, all those kind of things of nurturing. There is an emotional dimension to our inner lives. Thirdly, let's, look at, let's go on, the moral dimension here. Now to chapter 28, verse 1. Chapter 28, verse 1. Look a few, few pages forward. The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, this verse is actually quoted from Leviticus 26 here, where God says, if you disobey me, you will flee. You will flee from me, but no one's going to pursue you. And this verse, I think, and many commentators say, this is, this is talking about our guilty consciences. Now, you know when you're, you're living and you're thinking, not as you ought to, how does that make you feel inside? Well, there's guilt, isn't it? And that wears us down. Our spirit, our inner life is, is kind of eroded as time goes on. And note from this verse, the, the wicked man, the, the, the one who is guilty, flees even though no one pursues. And all the commentators point and they say, look, this is, this is the way that guilt works in our hearts, in our inner beings. It generalizes. That's what they all point to. It's a generalizing guilt. So you not only feel guilty for the things that you know that you've done wrong, you begin to feel guilty for everything in life. The things that you don't actually need to feel guilty about. You see, there's a moral dimension to our inner life, and therefore we can find ourselves actually crushed by the weight of the guilt that we've created in our own hearts. And that is why, if you're feeling this way, if there is guilt in your lives morally, then, you know, someone criticises you at work, 
just to, you know, I'm not sure you should have done that way. If, if you are crushed in spirit at that point, how do you take it? You take it, take it as the worst criticism ever. You, you feel utterly broken by it. Because you're feeling this burden of, oh, I've, I've, I've obviously done something really, really bad here. You feel a guilt, although no one's pursuing you. They're just saying a little word, saying, I'm not sure you should have done it that way. But you're crushed by it. You feel assaulted by it. Why? A bad conscience. If morally you're struggling, you may rightly feel like a failure in one particular area in life, but instead, you begin to feel like a total failure. Which can so easily lead to this crushed spirit. So there's a physical, emotional, and a moral dimension, but there's also a philosophical dimension. Turn with me to chapter 14, verse 13. Chapter 14, verse 13. They're having fun upstairs today, aren't they? It's a bit of a rowdy time. If I told them on this, I'm sure it would be quiet. There we go. Let's look at this. Chapter 14, verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and joy may end in grief. I'm sorry about this. This is what you came to church for, isn't it? This is going to be a happy, fun kind of time for the next few moments. C.S. Lewis was pretty amazing about this verse. Um, I think it's perhaps one of the most exposing of all the verses we're going to look at today. We live in a world, don't we? We certainly live in a culture where putting the happy face on, the, the very British stiff upper lip, you know, kind of laughing around the dinner table despite all your woes, that, that's keeping up with the Joneses. It's kind of all there, isn't it? We try and mask the deep down underlying sadness that was actually within all of us. And note that this verse, look at it carefully, it doesn't just say some people. Every commentator you look at this, uh, who, who makes a comment on this, says, be very careful to not relativize. This is an absolute statement. Tim Keller actually uh, notes this down. He says it's an existential angst. He uses terms like that, but basically means it, when you look at your existence, there is an underlying sadness. When you reason philosophically and look around you, uh, you see there is an inevitable turmoil. You know, all joy ends in grief. How? Well, this is how Lewis put it. When you look around this room, there'll be one of us, just one of us, who sees every single other person in this room dead. All joy ends in grief. Every day, everything, everything you know will one day be taken from you. Your loved ones, your possessions, your achievements, it all goes. All joy ends in grief. Now oh, we try not to think about it, do we? But deep down you do know it. You know it. And there is this underlying sadness that we all know. Now, we live in London. It's a great city, isn't it? But we're very good at trying to ignore this underlying sadness. And we cover it up in all sorts of ways. But once you dig down deep, even those who have been so blessed with so much, it's there. 
It's a philosophical problem of our inner lives, and we all have it until we begin to deal with the idea and the reality of this truth, the reality of death. And if you can't find some way in the light of death to ascribe meaning to now, today, your possessions, your relationships, your work, and, and so on, then your inner life will be crushed. You'll try and hide it, get the next thing, get the next job, but it will always be there. You will just crush your inner life with a, with a weight of expectation that you place on it, with, with actually things that will inevitably be taken from you. So there's a physical, emotional, moral, philosophical dimension to this inner life. And lastly, a faith dimension. We're nearly there. Turn with me, if you can, to chapter 15. Oh, we're on the same page. Chapter 15, verse 13. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. We're in a good place now. We're, we're okay, but, oh no, a heartache crushes the spirit. Now to us, the way we use that term, the heart, we think, don't we? We think emotions. The, the, the contrast to that is when we think head, we think kind of rational, don't we? Kind of rational thinking. But the heart is so much more than that, biblically. Uh, it's the core of who you are, where you fundamentally put your trust, your faith, your belief in. That's the heart. And we must be careful, therefore, what we put our faith in, what we hope for, what we trust. Because heartache crushes the spirit. You see, there is a faith, a, a belief, a uh, trust dimension to our inner life. Let, let's just go back just to show that point even more. Chapter 13, verse 12, if you can. Just flip back one page. Chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope, trust, belief, faith, same kind of group of words. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now this verse is telling us that if we put our hearts on something... And that is taken away. Your hope is deferred. If you put your faith in something and that is taken away, your hope is deferred. That is what he's saying. You won't even want to live. You'll be crushed in your spirit. So you lose your job. Anyone who loses their job, it's disappointing. Disappointing, isn't it? It hurts. If you lose a relationship, if a relationship breaks, that hurts. Of course it does. But if, the, if, if you've defined your ultimate happiness in those things, when that is taken from you, it, it will destroy you. It will crush you. And if you say to yourself that you're nobody until you get that particular job, you're nobody until you get that particular relationship, or t- until you're, you're not complete until you have children, and so on, or unless you earn that much. But what if you don't get those things? These verses saying... You won't want to live. Heartache creates a crushed spirit. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you see, we have a physical, an emotional, moral, philosophical, and a faith dimension to our inner lives. Now, you will never, ever find this approach found in any kind of magazine in W.H. Smith or any book that you look at or go to any doctor, but think about it. You are not just a body. You are not just your emotions, your conscience, your will. You're not just a thinking person. You are complete in all of those ways. It's so reductionistic to look upon yourself too simple in that way. Don't be a fool. 
We are men and women made in the image of God and that includes all these dimensions. And you can either listen to the wisdom of God and understand yourself in that full orb way or you can listen to the world around you. But what if we do listen to God? Does that solve all of our so-called problems? Well, here's the reality check to close, okay? <laughs> this is where it really, really picks up, okay? The loneliness of the inner life. It doesn't get any better than this, does it? It's a two-parter, right? So just, just hold on to it. Grab this. Pocket it. Think about next week and we'll put it together and it'll be much happier, okay? So let's finish off our really chirpy day looking at the loneliness of the inner life. Turn with me to chapter 14, verse 10, if you can. Each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. I can't even kind of say that with a smile on my face. That's, it's pretty dull. Yeah, it's pretty miserable. The point is, no one will ever completely understand you. No one. Oh, you may think you know the person that's closest to you, your loved one, your husband, your wife. You can, but you can, can't you? You can sense Certainly in a close relationship that, even in a marriage, they just don't know you fully. They just don't, do they? Not the deepest aspects of who you are. And basically, you go through the whole of your life alone. And that is horribly disappointing. Well, that's the end. (laughs) Is there any hope? You're going to think, why do I come here? This is pretty terrible, isn't it? The reality is that, humanly speaking, we are utterly alone in this world. But we cannot, we have not been made the image of God, triune God, relational God. We have not been made to live in isolation. And we cannot live in isolation. And that is why so many people move from, you know, kind of, getting another commodity to, to cover up that, to, to make themselves feel not alone, that they've, they've embraced something else. They go from escapism to escapism, as one scholar put it. Uh, the question is, are you crushed in spirit right now? You probably are after this talk. Are you feeling alone? What do you need? We need healing. We need healing from a crushed spirit. We need someone to be with us, of course, let's think humanly speaking. We need someone to know us, to cherish us, to understand us in every way. It is so hard to heal a crushed spirit if you find yourself there. And of course, seeing a doctor will help. Getting support emotionally from friends, loved ones, sharing with friends, confessing sin, repenting to God. All of those things will help on so many areas of what we've been looking at. But then you have to get to things like that, uh, the philosophical one, or as Tim Keller put it, the existential angst. What do you do with that? What are you going to do with your hopes and your dreams, what you put your faith in? Where is your faith in your trust? Only one knows. Only one knows you so well, who cherishes you, who understands you in every way. And I'm going to finish here by simply saying this. If you find yourself as someone who is on a spectrum of feeling low and crushed at the moment for for all of the reasons we've looked at, all those dimensions, come back to the one who really knows you. Cling to him. Spurgeon put it this way. He was very, very helpful. A man who really was at a low ebb for many of his years of his life. C.H. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, Do you need that I should tell you that there is only one who can heal a wounded spirit, a crushed spirit. 
By his stripes we are healed. If you would be healed of the bleeding wounds of your heart, flee away to Christ. You did so once, do it again. Come to Christ now, though you may have to come to him a hundred times before. Come now just as you are without one plea, but that his blood was shed for you. Come to him. There is no peace for a soul that does not do this. And you must have peace if you will but come simply as you are and trust yourself with Christ. Now next week, we are going to see how that is possible. Specifically how in coming back to Christ, in trusting him, in, in the one who knows you in every dimension of your inner being, we're going to see how that can bring the greatest contentment and the greatest joy. But there's a clue, and I'm going to leave you with a clue. In Proverbs 13, verse 12, just turn to it if you can. The clue is there. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It is just in that little metaphor of the tree of life that we might begin to find the answer to the crushed spirit. And that's where we're going to begin next week. Look, um, I, I kind of set up today, really, as a kind of, ooh, it's not quite finished, we're going to, we're going to head there. But um, I also wanted to give us time and opportunity to ask any questions, if that were helpful. So we've got five or six minutes. Why don't you just turn to the person beside you, if that's helpful? We're British, so we don't open up completely. But, you know, um, why don't we just turn and just say, look, what was most helpful? Um, and was there any kind of questions that you wanted to raise? Why don't you have two minutes chatting amongst yourselves? We haven't got any more songs to sing. So uh, in two minutes, I'll just say, is anyone with questions? If not, I'll pray, close, and we'll go get some biscuits. But why don't you just chat amongst yourselves? Two minutes, what was most helpful? Uh, any questions that you might want to raise as well? Off you go.